for that introduction. And we are starting a series that we're going to be going throughout the summer on, and it's the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to be looking at different uh, individuals, some of them actually apostles, some of them just maybe characters you might not have even heard of before, that God uses in a powerful way in the, the building of His church. And so when we start, right, right before we get to Acts, right here, that this, this time period, there are not a lot of followers of Jesus. Some scholars would say 120, some might say a couple hundred, but it's not a lot. Jesus has done this ministry for three years, and it's been a powerful and effective ministry. But when it comes down to it, at this point in history, there's not a lot of people that would say, Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And so God uses these ordinary people to do this extraordinary work and build his church. And so we're going to be looking at this because I believe we're at a, we're at a point in history right now in South Florida, in the world, where we also are kind of, we don't have as many followers of Christ as we once did in our country. I promise you right now there's a lot more people running on A1A than there are gathered in the churches here in South Florida. That's not a bad thing. Running on A1A is great. But we're at a point in history where we have an opportunity to share God's love in a fresh way. We have the same Holy Spirit within us that existed within these apostles. And so as we look at this series, I want to challenge you to dig in. Not just with the people we talk about, but we offered on the way in and on the way out this book. It's, a, it's the book of Acts. Love for you to pick one up. And it's a, it's a way to... It's a, Illustrated, illustrated, illustrated scripture journal. Obviously, Julie turned me on to this, right? So, but it's this, it's this beautiful thing. It's got some things highlighted. It's as an opportunity for you to write in it. You can write down whatever notes, maybe during the sermon. Hey, this is not Pastor Dave's best work. Whatever you want to write, it doesn't matter. But it's an opportunity for God to teach you, and hopefully. For God to use us as a church, as a body, to do what we say we want to do. To share the love of Christ with the world. And so, today we're going to start off by looking at Peter. And what I want, to, what I want us to focus on with Peter is Peter's transformation. Right? And I want you to think about Peter, right? Peter started, we all know this story, he was a fisherman. He was a fisherman and God calls him, he's out fishing. Apparently he wasn't even a very good fisherman, right? Because he's fishing all night, and how many fish did he caught? Yeah, zero, right? Like, every time I've gone out fishing and caught zero, my friends all make fun of me. So Peter's friends were probably making fun of him, too. And so, all of a sudden, there's this guy, Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, listen, Peter, do me a favor. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Peter's like, I don't want to. But he does it. All right, Jesus, because you told me, I've heard of this Jesus guy, whatever, you know, heals blind people. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, and so he casts his nets on the other side of the boat. What happens? They can't even bring them in. They're so full of fish. And they got to get James and John to help. And all of a sudden, Peter tells, or Jesus tells Peter and James and John and Andrew, Peter's brother, he says, listen, I tell you what, you're not going to do this fishing thing anymore. You weren't good at it anyways. <laughs> you're going to be fishers of men. And they follow Jesus, and, and for three years, Peter follows Jesus, but right, he, he never quite gets it, does he? He puts his foot in his mouth, he, he makes bold statements, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And then shortly after that, what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. He, he 
sees Jesus walking on the water, and he's like, all right, Jesus, tell me to come to you if it's really you. And he starts walking on the water, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, 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 starts sinking down, right? And so he never quite gets it. But all of a sudden, now, he delivers the sermon that we just read. It's Peter's first sermon. And, and we go from having a group of followers of a couple hundred people. At the end of this sermon, the Bible tells us 3,000 follow Jesus. 3,000 people. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And so God uses this ordinary guy, Peter, this guy that never quite get it, to have this incredible transformation where he's changed. Um, I think of my own story, and I've, I've shared it a couple times with you all before, but, you know, I grew up in a, in a great Christian home. My parents had me in church, like, every time the doors were open. You know, sometimes people will get grounded for things. I would get grounded to church. Like, all right, that's it. You're going to church. You can't leave until you fix your attitude, right? And so, you know, it was, it was this experience. I went to Christian school. I knew a lot about God, but there wasn't this personal connection, right? Maybe I was a little bit like Peter. I followed Jesus, sort of, but I didn't quite get it. And I remember it, when I was 17, I kind of had this transformative experience. I was at a camp, and, and it clicked for me, and we all know what that is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life, right? But it clicked for me, and I ran in, and I was excited. My, my life changed overnight. And I remember, like, going and, and want, st- starting to, like, tell some of my friends about Jesus in my life. And, and I remember one of them, he's like, Bull. That's what my nickname was in high school, Bull. And uh, it, was, it was because of the way I pitched, right? I was a pitcher, and before every pitch, I would go like this, like a bull. Some people try to claim it was for other reasons, but I don't believe any of them. But he said, Bull, you're, you're a different person. And I said, yeah, it's because Jesus is in my life now. And he said something that, that just captured me. He said, hasn't Jesus been in your life? And I thought, you're right. You're right, but now something's different because now I'm following him. Now I'm obeying his call. Now the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. And that's, that's what happens in Peter. Peter has this transformation. And he goes from this, this guy that, man, can we count on him at all? To one of the most powerful forces in the early church. So before Acts 2, we know some of the stories, right? We know that Peter, um, Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, I would never leave you, Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, listen, tonight, before that rooster crows, three times you're going to deny me. And sure enough, they go to Peter, hey, weren't you with Jesus? I don't, Jesus, Jesus, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know who he is. don't even know who he is. What are you talking about? I've never been with him before. Right, three times he denies Jesus. And that must have been so devastating for him. And then, what does he do? He goes in and he hides. They hide for a while and they wait and they, and they hide and they're, they're scared and they're afraid. And then, even after Jesus appears to them, what does Peter do? Goes back to fishing. Goes back to what he know, what he, what he apparently wasn't any good at. And Jesus, in this beautiful story, comes and meets him on the beach. 
And once again, he says, hey, Peter, try casting your nets over there. And Peter hauls in this haul of fish. And it's to remind him that, hey, fishing is not your job. I've got different plans for you. I've got bigger plans for you. You're my fisher of men. And God has this, this, Jesus has this experience with Peter where he restores him. Just as, you know, three times Peter denies him. Three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he starts out, he, he says, when you study the Greek, he starts out, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Which means an unconditional love, a, a perfect love, a love that reality is only God is capable of. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Tend to my lambs. A third time, Peter, do you phileo me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly love. The best I can offer. And Jesus so gently, so perfectly restores Peter and sets Peter on this path to become this incredibly powerful force in the life of the early church. This stubborn, foot-in-his-mouth fisherman. No education, no training, ordinary guy. God uses to be one of the, right with Paul, probably the premier leaders of the early church. So, Peter delivers this first sermon, right? And it, it is, it's his first sermon. And, and how does he so quickly go from this scared guy hiding, denying Jesus to delivering this powerful sermon? And it says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Right? This isn't, this isn't someone who's timidly coming forth and saying, hey, um, I, I guess you guys should know about this, right? It says all of a sudden he, he stands up and he's bold and he, he gets up and he says, listen to me, people. I have a message for you. The guy that was hiding transforms. He goes from hiding out to standing up. Just like that. And it's, it's this incredible, powerful thing. And it's because, see, Jesus saw in Peter something that Peter probably never even saw in himself. It kind of reminds me of um, Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest uh, people in the world at one time, right? In fact, he probably was the wealthiest at one time. And he was often interviewed about the secret to his success. And this one interview he was giving, at the time, he had 43 millionaires working for him. That's how successful he had become, right? And it's not like a million dollars today. A million dollars today is a lot of money, Right? I mean, I, if one of you drops that in an offering plate, that would be amazing. I could take a couple months off or do you know, whatever, you know, right? A million dollars is a lot of money. But back then, a million dollars was a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And there's 43 people who are millionaires working for him. He says, how did you identify all this talent? How did you develop all this talent? How did you get all these sharp people working in your organization. As he was being interviewed, he said, he said, well, leadership is a lot, it's a lot like mining for gold. And the reporter was baffled and said, okay, explain that to me. He said, well, when you mine for gold, what you do is you, you literally dig through tons of dirt and rock to get an ounce of gold. 
And you keep doing that over and over again. He said, that's, that's what developing leaders is like. You've got to ignore the dirt and the rock. Look past the dirt and the rock and look for the gold. He said, these 43 guys, when I looked, I saw the gold. And I knew there was going to be a work to get through the dirt and the rock and to get them to be the best they could be. But that's what we did. And that's what Jesus does with Peter, right? He sees this rough around the edges, Peter fittingly the rock, right? And he digs through the rough edges and he chisels away. And Peter becomes this incredible force. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to chip away the dirt and the rock because we have that gold within us. So Peter goes from hiding out to standing up and then... This is, this is amazing to me, right? This guy that a, a few short weeks ago denies even knowing who Jesus is says, hey, listen, R- remember, this is his first sermon. This is his first practice. And he gets up and he says, hey, you people, <laughs> you people out there, you killed Jesus. You put him to death. God gave you this incredible gift and you killed him. That's what he says. This guy who was hiding and afraid and denying Jesus all of a sudden becomes so bold that he stands up in Jerusalem and he says, this is your fault. But he also says, if you believe, if you turn and follow him, God will change you. God will rescue you. God will redeem you. And so Peter goes from this denial to proclaiming the truth of the gospel. So the real question is, what changed? What changed for Peter? What is the, what's the one thing that's different from, from the time that he spends three years following Jesus to this point in Acts 2? Well, it's exactly the thing he starts out talking about. It's Pentecost. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the great news for you and I, the incredible, the powerful, the life-changing news is the same Holy Spirit that does this work in Peter is within you. Jesus stood there with his disciples and he said, hey guys, I'm getting ready to take off. I'm leaving. But it's going to be better for you when I leave because I've got a gift for you. And I I can only imagine what they must have thought. Right? Because if I'm one of the disciples and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to leave and when I leave, you're going to be better off, I would be like, Jesus, you're crazy. I've been following you for three years. I see what you do. Uh, You don't go anywhere. Stay with me. He says, no. When I leave, I'm going to give you this incredible gift, this powerful gift, this life-changing gift, the helper, the Holy Spirit. When he comes, watch out. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, even to the ends of the earth. It's like giving an eight-year-old a Coke. Right? You know what happens. You, you give them a bottle of Coke and all of a sudden it's like they've received this power and they, they have unlimited energy. It doesn't last long, right? But they become this... And all of a sudden, now Peter has the Holy Spirit. He's a new person. 
He has this power. And the same thing exists for us. So what does that mean for us? Well, well, it means a lot of good news. Number one, the Holy Spirit emboldens us. Peter goes from this, from this scared person denying Jesus to this bold proclaimer, and the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. Some of you may remember uh, the story of Corey Ten Boom. Anyone read Hiding Place? Familiar with it? Well, Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch uh, Christian in the time of uh, Nazi Germany. And uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom's uh, father and parents actually were taking in Jews and protecting them from the Nazis. And Corey Ten Boom was a part of that, but also she had an incredible passion to help the mentally disabled. And so Corey Ten Boom began taking in the mentally disabled to her own home and protecting them because what the Nazis were doing was just, as soon as they found anyone with a mental disability, they immediately killed them. They thought they weren't worth anything. And so Corey Ten Boom said no. By her, by her own admission, she was a timid person. She was a rule follower. She would have been the exact kind of person who would have just fallen in line and done what the, the Nazi leaders told her to do. But she prayed, and God put this feeling on her heart, and she was convicted and convinced that they, she had to do something. And so going against her nature because of the emboldening of the Holy Spirit, she begins taking in and protecting Jews and mentally disabled. And she becomes, she gets arrested. She gets caught eventually. And they actually have a trial. She's held captive with groups of women and they actually have a trial. And paperwork is lost. And because of a, a filing error, she's actually released. And she goes right back to helping more mentally disabled people. And then the very next day, the entire block of women where she was staying is executed. God protects her. The Holy Spirit emboldens her. She keeps right on doing her work. It's a fascinating story. I encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful story of how God gives us this power through the Holy Spirit that things that, that might be scary or threatening or, or that all of a sudden because of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we become emboldened. And we do what we might not do otherwise. Not only does the Holy Spirit embolden us, but the Holy Spirit empowers us as well. As, as we said in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power. There's a, a man by the name of Robert Hampshire. And Robert Hampshire is an author. Um, he writes today for Christianity Today and uh, Christianity.com. Writes a lot of different articles. God's used him to Im impact thousands of lives, I'm sure. But um, in middle school, Robert Hampshire took this test. Maybe, maybe you all took these tests in middle school where you filled out these, like, 60 questions and it told you what you're supposed to be when you grow up. Anyone do one of those? No one? Come on. A few of you did. All right. I remember doing one. I don't even remember what I was supposed to be. I probably just said baseball player. All right. But Robert Hampshire took this test, and he took it, and he got two answers. One was janitor, the second was stay-at-home wife. And he thought, well, I'm going to have a really hard time being a stay-at-home wife, because I'm a guy, 
but I guess maybe I'm supposed to be a janitor. But, you know, he, keep, he kept praying about it. And obviously you're in middle school. And, you know, he grew up and he said, I think I'm supposed to be a writer. And he told one of his high school teachers he thought that. And the high school teacher just laughed at him. He said, Robert, let me show you something. These are your grades. The highest one you've ever gotten is a C. You're not good at writing. We thought, I think I'm supposed to be a writer. He went on to college, majored in English. Same thing, never got anything higher than a C. But he kept praying and he was convinced that God wanted him to be a writer. And so he began just writing a blog of his thoughts of how God was at work in his life. And it took off. This guy that so many people said would amount to little, God has used to reach thousands simply because the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Amazing story. It reminds me of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read it real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to despise things. The things that are not. To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you're in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That's our righteousness. Holiness and redemption. Therefore it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. You see, the power didn't come from Robert Hampshire. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, over and over again, what does God do? He uses people like Peter. Ordinary, regular people to do extraordinary things. He uses Abraham to become Father Abraham, the father of a nation. A guy, the guy tried to give his wife away, I don't even know how many times. Every time he went to a new place, he's like, oh, not my wife, this is my sister, you can have her. Right? God uses, God doesn't use Saul, the biggest and strongest and handsomest. God uses David, the little shepherd boy. Right? Over and over again, we have examples throughout Scripture of God. God doesn't use people with the best ability. God uses people with the best availability. People that say, here am I, God, use me. Not only does God embolden us through the Holy Spirit and empower us through the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit also equips us. That's the whole thing with spiritual gifts, right? God has given you not just natural abilities and talents, but spiritual gifts. I think maybe one of the greatest examples and the greatest stories I've heard of this is, is the story of, of Dwight L. Moody. Some of you may be familiar with this story. D.L. Moody grew up in, in a, on a farm. When he was 17, he decided he didn't want to be a farmer, so he moved to Boston. Went to Boston, and, and his goal was to get a job. I'm going to go to Boston, make my career. Well, he got to Boston, and he couldn't get a job anywhere. Couldn't get anyone to hire him. Didn't have kind of the the people skills, the charisma. Just couldn't get a job. He finally found a relative, a distant relative, and he he begged him for a job. And so he began working in a a 
shoe store selling shoes. The man said, I can't pay you, but if you can sell shoes, you can make a little bit of a commission on the shoes you sell. There he was, kind of barely scraping by and until a man by the name of Edward Kimball got a hold of him. Edward Kimball was a local Sunday school teacher. And he saw something in D.L. Moody and he took an interest with him and he began sharing the same story that Peter shared with the crowd that day. There's a God that loves you desperately. He loves you so much that even while you were a sinner and turned away from him over and over and over again, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. To pay a penalty that you deserve to pay. And when you put your faith in him, he takes that sin, he casts it as far as the east is from the west, and all of a sudden, you're reconciled to God. And D.L. Moody heard that story and he embraced it. And he said, I want to share this story with people. And Edward Kimball said, ah, that's great, that's a great passion, you should do that. Um, have you considered that you're not good at speaking? Because D.L. Moody wasn't good at speaking. In fact, he would stand in front of people and he'd try to talk. It's the reason he couldn't get himself a job. He'd stand in front of people and he'd get so nervous, his knees would shake and, and he couldn't get words out and he'd begin stuttering. But D.L. Moody had this passion. And so he prayed. He prayed every day. He said, God, give me the ability to share your story with the world. And he prayed that every day. And what he found is, is he was still terrified to get up in front of people. But as soon as he started talking about God, his knees stopped shaking. As soon as he started talking about God, the stutter went away. As soon as he started telling the story, all of a sudden he noticed people were listening. He didn't have any natural ability as a speaker, but the Holy Spirit had equipped him, had given him the gift of teaching and evangelism. And God has used D.L. Moody, founder of Moody Bible Institute, founder of Moody Church, founder of countless missionary organizations, to probably literally reach, I would say, millions of people. It's one person. So my encouragement to all of us this summer is <clears throat> read this book. We're going to be talking about a few people, a few characters. Hopefully there's some good takeaways, but read this book. And see how over and over and over again, God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Because I believe God wants to do the same with you. You walk out today and you're going to say, see the sign on the mirror above you. It says, attempt great things from God. That's all he asks. The Holy Spirit gives you the boldness, gives you the power, and equips you to do the job. All God asks is that you would be willing. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of people like Peter. God, my favorite part of the story of Peter is that he's an ordinary knucklehead just like me. He puts his foot in his mouth more times than he doesn't. He sometimes gets scared. He sometimes does the wrong thing. 
Yet God, because of your Holy Spirit, because of your power, you use him to do amazing things. Father God, that's my prayer for me and for everyone here today is that that we would simply say, here I am, God, use us. That as we set about as a church on a mission to share your love with the world, that you would embolden us, empower us, and equip us through your Holy Spirit. In your precious holy name we pray, amen.